What I'd like to do is read some verses a little bit later, but I want to note who Matthew was before I get there, because it, it's changed the way that I look at some of what he's written. Um, the calling of Matthew is told in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, Jesus is walking along, and he sees Matthew, a tax collector, sitting in a tax booth, and he says, follow me. Now, tax collectors in those days weren't any more popular than they are today. In fact, they might have been less. Uh, basically, it was like owning a franchise. You paid a certain fee to the Roman government, and then whatever you collected was for you. So however you squeeze people and whatever amount you got, that was kind of up to you as long as you paid the franchise fee. And so uh, they weren't known for their uh, honesty. In fact, they were despised. And the, the fact that they had linked arms with the Romans made them that much more questionable as to their righteousness. And so there were a number of things that would have been a part of this man's life that, that it's good to be aware of at least when we look at it. Now, Jesus not only called him, but he went to his house and he has a meal with them. And the Pharisees are really upset. You know, they're, they're going, what on earth are you doing with sinners? Now, it's interesting. Jesus, you know, if you compare money changers and tax collectors, that's, a, that's an interesting thing because the religious money people, Jesus got really uptight with. But the ones that were serving society, he just he, he ended up embracing both Zacchaeus and uh, Matthew. So it's, it's an interesting thing to chew on. But uh, anyway, the Pharisees are going, why are you with these people? And Jesus makes a declaration. He says, it's the sick that need a physician. And I, I think we would be able to say, it's those who know that they need something that are going to respond to medicine and medication, or they're going to at least go get some help. And then you have, uh, he says this phrase, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's an Old Testament quote out of 1 Samuel. And he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And... In looking at that, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The sacrificial system was, in a sense, to point us to God. It was like a directional sign. You know how people, you know, when they go on vacation and they stand by the state sign and they take the picture and you go, well, that's great, but that's not really the state, is it? I'd like to see some scenery or city or something, but the sign, it doesn't mean much to me. Well, in some ways, sacrifice was the sign, but what was it pointing to? You know, the sacrifice was, it was a cry for mercy. Say, Lord, have mercy on us sinners. And so there's this declaration, so to speak. Jesus going, it's not the sacrifice. It's mercy that, that you, you, know, you receive mercy from God, but I also want you to be showing mercy. Uh, you, you call out to God for his mercy for salvation. You call out to God for mercy for your life. And so it's, it's not about the sacrifice. And in, in some ways, you know, if, since we're not in a sacrificial system, 
You know, I'm appreciative when you all sit quietly and, and properly, but that's almost like sacrifice, right? You know, it's a religious action or a deed, and, and, and you're doing it well. My thanks. But, you know, it's, that's not as important as who are we talking of and who are we worshiping? Who are we calling upon for mercy? And what mercy are we giving when we got into community? And so, you know, as sweet as you sing and as well as you sit and, and do things, you know, pray out loud, it, it, there's more to it, right? The, the essence of what we're about is knowing God and, and discovering his mercy for our lives. Um, that said, Jesus uses tax collectors in a couple illustrations. Uh, he says... You know, if you love only those who love you, what reward should there be for that? So even the tax collectors do that. You know, they, they had been ostracized, so they formed their own little groups. That's what Jesus was stepping into. He's stepping into a, a subculture of, the, of rejects. But they loved each other because, you know, they'd found a, a, a niche or a place, an identification. And so Jesus goes, you know, if you're only with your own group, that's, that's not that impressive. And so we've got to learn how to love beyond that. Another illustration in Matthew 18, when he's talking about dealing with somebody that's sinned and is unrepentant and unwilling to deal with it, he says, well, at the final stage, it's to treat them like you treat the tax collectors. Just shut them out of your life. He's not justifying what's done, but he's, he's saying that's, that's how you treat. That's what needs to go on. Um, that said, Matthew had lived in kind of societal rejection for a good while already before Jesus ever called him. But when he goes into the Beatitudes and blessed are those who are persecuted... He understands that, that mindset or that temperament. He understands all that goes on with that. And he, he takes it a little further. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice to be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were with and before you. So, in other words... Matt, that's one of the teachings that Jesus was giving, and Matthew, I get it. He says there's, there is future hope for those that are wrestling with rejection. It's a very intriguing to me in going through this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where the verses I just read to you are followed by, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, there may be a measure of rejection and even reviling or persecution, but does that mean you're supposed to shut up and go away? Or that you hide out and escape? Matthew links them together and say, nah, you're salt and light. You know, it, it, is it possible some of this is going? Absolutely. Does that mean you shut down? Not at all. 
So I found the, the blending of those two thoughts pretty amazing. Matthew would be one of the people that would get it. You know, his life experience would have put him in a place to go, yeah, you don't back off because of that. If anything, you just commit yourself to more. It's an intriguing thought. Um, the, uh, the story of Zacchaeus, I want to touch on that just for a bit, just because he was a tax collector as well. Remember, he's a short guy, can't see very well, climbs a tree, Jesus spots him and says, come on down, I'm going to your house today. You know, it's quite possible that he'd met him through Matthew already, but it, you know, the fact that Jesus singles him out in a crowd and says, your house. Is he's making a statement to the, the whole crowd around. And so he goes and, and uh, it says Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. Um, about this time you're going, Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus? I don't care. Um, anyway, when they saw it, it says they all grumbled, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. So that's the, the group that they're lumping him with. But later on, Zacchaeus stands up and he goes, Lord, half of my goods I'll give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone anything, yeah, that's part and parcel of what I do. If I've defrauded anyone, I'll give back four times. You know, this man is truly changing direction. It's interesting, I was with some pastors this week, and and one of them made mention of this story, and he goes, Jesus didn't call him a son of Abraham until after he'd already made this declaration. So in a sense, part of this salvation process was to step away from sin and even make recompense for people he'd wronged. That's a an important thing. You know, when, when John the Baptist came, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' first, repent. Peter's first message is repent. You know, and yet we would like to bypass that and say, I'm ready for the joy in the Lord in good times from now on. But there is this turning of life in a, an abandoning of wicked ways that is part of our salvation process and part of our stepping into new life. And it can't be set aside or just dismissed because it's unpleasant. But as the Lord speaks to our hearts, it's appropriate to attempt to go make peace with those that we've not been at peace with. Um, one other um, parable out of Luke was the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's written, as, as the story goes, the Pharisee standing, God, I thank you, I'm not like others. I'm not into an immoral lifestyle, I'm not greedy, I'm not wicked, I'm not like that tax collector over there, in fact. Thank you that you've set me apart from all this. And the, the tax collector on the other side is God. God have mercy on me, and he's so humble that he's not even willing to look up toward heaven. It's like this, I know 
where I am in regard to a holy and perfect God. And he's going, I have no right to claim this on my own. And what happens is Jesus goes, that's the mindset I want. I want the heart that's willing to say, I have need of a salvation. And uh, he goes, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now let's hit just a few more things regarding Matthew. One of the things that I anticipate or expect, like in tax collectors, accountants, bookkeepers, uh, it's probably not appropriate to lump them all in the same thing, but I expect precision and an attention to detail and kind of a systematic thought as part of the mindset of a bookkeeper and an accountant. You know, it, it's good if you can balance the books, right? Uh, it, it's even better when the books that you bring to the bookkeeper and they go, yeah, you balance that, you know. Um, you expect that kind of accuracy. So when, when I read the book of Matthew and I realize he has the largest blocks of Jesus' teaching of any of the Gospels, there's a certain intentionality to that. Now, I know he's guided by the Holy Spirit, but God uses temperament and personality in the writings. That's why there's a variation. So in that, five blocks, five major blocks of Jesus' teaching are there. And then do you remember how he ends? He ends with the Great Commission. You know, going to all the world and preach the gospel. And what are you supposed to do? Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So this guy has done his best to present the teaching of Jesus so that we would know what we're supposed to be learning, so to speak. So it's, it's a very ordered thought. There's some other things that he does. Um, he def- very definitely, even though has faced rejection within his group, he is Jewish in his mindset, and he spends a lot of time pulling in the Old Testament prophets and showing how they... Uh, they proclaimed who Christ would be. So he's going, nobody's going to be convinced of a Jewish mindset unless they understand that the Old Testament declares Christ. And so regularly, he's pulling in these prophecies that are fulfilled, and he's saying, Jesus truly is the Messiah that everybody's been looking for. So it's kind of a a beautiful order that he brings into that book. Now, the final thing that I want to look at. When when I read the passages that he has in the Sermon on the Mount in particular about money and about anxiety, there's something in me that kind of says, yeah, Jesus had a traveling band of people. It's a little more complicated when you're stationary to figure this all out. You know, it's a little bit more difficult, you know, when you're trying to, you know, make a life for generations and in the same community. And, and, and there's a measure of truth with that. But here's the deal. The guy probably was already rich before Jesus called him. He had a great occupation and he's making money. So for him to make the transition and embrace what the teaching of Jesus is and even to record it 
there had to be a change of mindset. There had to be a turning of his heart. Even to follow Jesus, you know, he's letting go of a great career. So, you know, this, it, it brings a certain tension that I look at and go, this guy got it, and he knew what the issues really were. And he knew what it was to wrestle with them, but he also knew what it was to come out of the other side and say, I'm settled in this. This is where my life is going. So it makes it that much more powerful when I read these verses. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth, rust, destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth or rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It says, you've got a choice. You either build up your treasures on earth or you build up your treasures in heaven. So he's defining a line, isn't he? He goes on, no one can serve two masters, for he'll hate one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is coming from the former tax collector. This is what he had to wrestle through to even come into embracing the kingdom of God. Who better to write about it than Matthew? Then he goes on, he hits anxiety because that's the other detention, right? Our security we, that we build up within our finances, and he, and he saw it. He saw it for what it was. He wrestled through. So he goes, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you eat, what you drink, or your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, quite honestly, you and I don't even have, those aren't even the issues we're wrestling with because we're already several levels beyond that. You know, like with food, um, I think you were telling me, you know, it's about sustenance at the first level, then it's about flavor, and then it's about presentation. You know, and so when you and I talk, you know, it's about, was it tasty? And, you know, did it look nice? Yeah, we're well beyond did it fill you up and take care of you nutritionally. And even clothing-wise, you know, we can run around and we can be pleased with how we've dressed. It, I always feel very vulnerable when I hit this because um, I don't often think about the details. Um, but anyway, we don't, we don't spend a lot of energy on that. Much of the world does, but we don't have to because we're, we're blessed in that regard. But what he goes on to say, he's, and, G, and the illustration that he captures from Jesus, he goes, you know, the birds, the sparrows, they don't plan harvest at all. They don't plan planting, but God takes care of them. It's almost like that little brain that, that has no thinking down the road, God takes care of even that one, thankfully, Right? I mean, if he takes care of the birds, surely he's going to take care of us bird-witted, so to speak. And, and, and then he goes on and he, and he goes, you know, the lilies, the colors that you see in those flowers are more amazing than any clothing 
that we can make. And then he makes this declaration. <laughs> They're here today, gone tomorrow. They, their lifespan is so short, and that window of growth is so minimal, and yet God clothes them with beauty. You're going, God's going to take care of you. And then finally he takes on the Gentiles and goes, they chase everything. That's what you'd expect of people that don't have God. And he comes back and says, but us who believe, well, then it, it needs to affect the way we live as well. And he goes and he closes in that section with, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So again, as I read through those passages, it just pulls me that much deeper into knowing who Matthew was. And it's, you know, it's like I can't dismiss them quite as easily. And I have to press in and just say, okay, if I open up things financially to you, what, what are you going to do? I'm, uh, uh, you know, my life is being unraveled right now. You know, I, I, I had a pretty good plan for finishing with my time and my money. I, you know, I, I charted what I needed to do. Now, I'm not saying that it's, you know, a person who loves money never has enough. That's what Ecclesiastes say. And, and I look at that verse regularly and despise it and love it at the same time. But it, it's one of those things where I'm going, time and money, I, I, once I lock in, I'm there. Now, this whole Malawi thing is messing up time significantly. It's also messing up my financial plan. And then having a son move to Australia with another one there already, and me going, at very minimum, I will be shamed into going there by the family. <laughs> you know? Time and money, taking away from the plan that I have. And I'm going, what do I do with this? Except that I keep preaching out of these passages that say God has it under control. And at some point, I'm going to have to believe it for myself. You know, and each of us, you know, you, you kind of think at some season of life, it'll all be stable and cool. And I just, you know, I got God's understanding and plan, and it's, it doesn't quite work that way. But it's good, you know? It, he... He continues, in a sense, to shake us just enough to say, um, keep calling out to me. Keep seeking me. Keep chasing this kingdom first. I'll let you know what needs to happen. And it does. It's a beautiful thing. Lord, we thank you for your scripture that speaks life. We thank you that you called a man like Matthew. We thank you that you used his unique gifts to write this beautiful gospel. Lord, help us to take these words 
and let them apply to us in such a way that we move forward in you. Amen.